Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Football Tactics podcast. I'm your host Neil Sherat as always and this time I'm delighted to say I have been joined by Sami Kiani. Sami, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Uh, I hope you are doing uh, fine as well. Yep, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, for you know, for the listeners who might not have uh, uh, come across Sami before, he is well, how, how should I put this? I don't know about him, but at least his Twitter account cares not the slightest bit about club football and is solely focused on international football. And at least I, for for one, am a big fan of that. So Sami follows international football all around the world um, and he has devised his own sort of ratings, uh, ranking system, uh, which is a noble attempt, I would say, because I think one thing that surely we all agree on is that the FIFA ranking system is not the best in the world. It, it definitely has its uses, but it's not always a good reflection of the current state of things. It often tends to be a reflection of the state of things over like a four or five year period. And the other weakness with it is that across continents, it can be very sort of, it can be very weird. Like I think the lowest ranked team right now is San Marino, who scored against Denmark. And then above them, you have, I don't know, Antigua and Barbuda, who wouldn't score against Denmark in probably 100 games. So <laughs> there's, there's various issues with the, with the FIFA model. Obviously, I don't think we can ever come on a 100% accurate model, but uh, I, I would encourage all, all our listeners to follow Sami on Twitter um, because there's some very interesting stuff there. But right, today we are here to talk about the Asian Cup coming up. Of course, our last episode was the AFCON preview, both of these tournaments are kicking off at roughly the same time. So if you haven't checked that out, then I'd encourage you to go and listen to that as well. And so we'll follow a very similar format for this one. Uh, let's just quickly start by talking very briefly about the tournament. The Asian Cup is, of course, the continental football tournament hosted by the Asian Football Confederation, AFC. Fun fact about it, it is the second oldest continental football tournament in the world. A quick trivia question for you, Sami. Do you know which the oldest one is? Uh, the oldest one is the AFCON, the African Nations Cup. No, the AFCON is actually third. Uh, it started just uh, after the Asian Cup. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, now I remember it's the Copa uh, America. Indeed, yes, it's the Copa America. Uh, the Asian Cup started in 1956, I believe. The, the AFCON, I think, was just a couple of years later. And then we, of course, had the Euros uh, first in 1960. So all around the same time, but the Asian Cup being the second oldest. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a four-year tournament like most of them. Uh, it's been held around the continent across various years. Recently, it, it, I mean, it started obviously much smaller. Uh, in the early 2000s, it was a 16-team tournament. And since 2019, it has been a 24-team tournament. So, uh, the recent history of the tournament, uh, the defending champions going into this one are Qatar, who won last time out against Japan in the final in the tournament. That was held in the UAE. Safe to say that was a, a, a shock result. No one expected them really to win there. Um, and that was, of course, their first ever Asian Cup win. And now they are the hosts. The initial plan, actually, for this edition was that it would be hosted in China. They were awarded hosting rights, but... After the COVID-19 pandemic and all their strict travel regulations, they relinquished those rights and then Qatar won the late bidding process uh, to take them over. So this was supposed to be in 2023, but because of all that, 
it'll start in early 2024 as we know so we are here to talk about some of the top teams the strongest contenders at the tournament unpick how they play their tactics and of course discuss a few key players from each side i guess let's begin with the defending champions uh and the hosts of course qatar how do you rate them sami because you know as i said i'm sure you agree last time when they won they were they weren't exactly favorites i don't think we can call them favorites here either what do you say yes uh i think um uh four years ago it came as a surprise when they won um they showed some good uh they had a good preparation i remember back then when they beat uh, switzerland on the road and friendly so it didn't come exactly out of nowhere but it was of course a surprise that they won it because they had also a tough bracket uh you know four years fast forward i think it's safe to say that they are not on the same level anymore we uh, we saw the world cup performance it was disappointing as a host uh, to go out with uh, three losses even though qatar has not much footballing tradition and it was the first world cup um it was still disappointing to see and then they basically uh decided to go uh, to change the manager where we saw uh, Carlos Queiroz uh, at the helm I think he was at the helm for about less than, less, less than a year yeah less than a year yeah it was not very long uh, they they played the um, go, uh, the gold cup with him they made it to the quarterfinals but they were dumped out by Panama they lost I believe 4-0 to them it was a shocking display and um yeah it was never smooth sailing with uh, carlos kevosh he obviously <clears throat> wanted uh, qatar to play more uh, pragmatic style of football you know uh, more like uh, let's uh, you know defend first safety first basically and then uh, try just to you know in transition uh, to to hit uh, the to score a goal or so and it was of course a new style of play for qatar uh, be- previously under sanchez they played much more you know uh, fluid football much more uh, proactive football and um, you know carlos kevos he's a manager he demands a lot of uh, determination a lot of effort a lot of just uh, cover- covering a lot of ground you know and i think uh, that was a problem for some of these qatar players because uh, let's be honest they, they they don't put in the the most of effort uh, sometimes and uh, yeah i think it was a mismatch and i'm not surprised that carlos kevos has been sacked and um, we will they went now to appoint a spanish manager who coached alwakra in the qatar stars league for a couple of years and um, it will be interesting to see uh, at w- what level qatar will perform it with asian cup i think they are kind of um unknown variety we don't know exactly how strong they will be but it's safe to say that they will, won't be a favorite they won't be even a contender i think they could be at best a dark horse you know to go maybe at best on a semi-final one yeah and as you say so they've appointed uh, tintin marquez who has been coaching alvaca in the qatar stars league for i think almost six years now um and yeah but this is his first job in international football he's done a very good job uh, at al wakra when he took over they were you know a lower mid table team not exactly relegation battlers but never really competing 
and now he's made them you know serious contenders for one of the Asian spots not title contenders but you know that's not their level El Sad El Duhel are by far you know, the top two in the country but I think he's he's gotten them you know to the best uh, level they can be or maybe even overperforming a bit and right now they're second as he as he left them so he's clearly done a good job there across of course of like a five six year period but he has i don't think he has any or certainly not at the senior level he has no uh, experience in international football um so it's new it's a new ground for him as well and so it should be as you say yeah there should be quite an unknown quantity um of course we'll get on to our group predictions later but as you say i don't think they're going to have any problem in the groups uh, maybe even if they don't have a manager um, but yeah it's, it's, it's the knockouts probably that we will see um the, the, them being affected so yeah tough to say what what they'll shape up like but definitely not an ideal lead up to the tournament for the hosts qatar right let's move on to japan now because i would say that they are the i i'm i'm tempted to say they're the clear favorites for this one would you agree yes uh, they they've been in in a very in excellent form since the World Cup. Actually, also in the build-up to the World Cup, they, they were in great form. I think uh, since, like, the towards the end of World Cup qualifiers or so, uh, they really have picked it up, and I think they are undoubtedly favorites for this Asian Cup. I mean, they are my favorites number, number one. And, um, yeah, I, I like uh, how they play. I think they are very cohesive side. Uh, they can play on the break, you know, they can play on the counter, but they can also dictate play and break teams down. So I think they have really evolved their play uh, under Moriasu in the last uh, years. And um, yeah, they, they, they will be for sure favorites. Yep. And as you say, I think that's that's the key really, because what we see in in these Asian Cup sides in AFCON because like in our last episode, for example, we were discussing Morocco, right? Now they had obviously a very, very impressive uh, World Cup. But what our guest Maher said that he was a bit concerned about how they would perform at AFCON because at the World Cup, they succeeded through, you know, more defensive and counter-attacking approach, which they can't really use at AFCON where they're one of the favorites. But as you say, uh, with Japan, it's, it's a case of... Um, them have having the ability to switch between both a, a, a possession dominant approach and a more counter-attacking approach that we saw at the world cup and obviously they also have I, I mean i would say they have the best squad at the tournament as well in terms of both quality and depth i think they deserve a lot of credit for how they've developed their local football both through the j leagues through their high school system and so right now they they're have an abundance of talent. I mean, I think their second team would also be very competitive uh, at at uh, at the Asian Cup. So, who 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 would you pick out as their key player? Because really, almost all of their players have the potential to be stars. But if you had to pick one name, uh, you know, who you think might be the difference maker, who would you say that could be? Uh, when it comes to Japan and the key players, I think uh, we there are obviously there are many uh, high quality players. It's difficult to uh, point out, but I will try. You know, I think Endo is doing uh, pretty well at Liverpool. You know, he got his move to Liverpool this season. And uh, from what I saw, he's been in form. He's been playing uh, regularly. You know, he's a center defensive uh, midfield. And he's, uh, his position is 
of course, in modern football, one of the key positions, you know, in center defensive midfield, you always need a robust player, a player who can play uh, the passes, dictate the tempo of the game. And I think when we look in the attack, Japan, they have a wealth of attacking options on the wings. Um, we could uh, mention maybe Ito. I think he's a junior uh, junior Ito. He's a very underrated player. He plays uh, in Stade Rams in France. And he, he's been also in pretty good form. And I remember he played also uh, pretty well at the last uh, World Cup. And, uh, you, you know, he has a good pace, he has good uh, feed work, and he's always dangerous. He can assist. He doesn't score that many uh, goals, but he, he's uh, very good with his runs and uh, can provide assists. And, of course, we all know Mitoma. He's, uh, he's injured at the moment, but he was uh, still called up. Maybe he could uh, future in the later stages of a tournament we don't know yet you know there's no uh we don't have any information maybe he's just there for you know uh, being part of a squad and motivate the other players we don't know yet um but uh, these are actually these are the players i would uh, mention for now yep that's right and I'm also add takefusa kubo to the list he's been great at real sociedad finally i think having uh, and, you know, as an exceptional standout season because for so many years he's been billed as you know the big thing in Japan. He trained with Barcelona, Real Madrid. Um, didn't really work out at either place, but it's great to see him finally doing well in La Liga. And as you say, with uh, Mitoma injured, I, I think he could also play a key role in that team. But I think you know this is the fact that we could, we could basically name the whole. Uh, starting eleven for Japan just goes to show how strong they are, and you know even in in the squad they've selected there are there is you know some controversy or at least um, some debate about who's been left out. I think one big name is Aotanaka, who uh, you know the speculation probably that he might have a transfer lined up, which is why he hasn't joined. But you know even with him not making the squad, there is almost no drop in quality. They in fact they don't they, I don't think they've called up uh, Yuya Osako either. He was the top scorer. In the J-League, as Vissel Kobe won the title for the first time ever, they don't need him because he's 32 years old, uh, won't probably be making it to the next World Cup. So they they have the luxury to call upon these players. And that's why I think they're the strongest um, you know, squad as a whole in Asia. But let's move on now to another one of the contenders, South Korea, who also have a you know pretty well-rounded squad. But I, I feel they're just not quite there yet um, at Japan's level for a couple of reasons. It'd be interesting to to hear what you think because obviously they weren't quite at the same level at the World Cup either. And on the coaching side of things as well, it's it's not quite you know, the same level of stability. Yes, uh, I agree. Uh, South Korea, uh, for me personally, they are second favourites uh, to win this uh, Asian Cup. Uh, we all know they made it to the round of 16 at the World Cup. Uh, then they uh, changed the manager, Klinsmann. Jürgen Klinsmann is now their manager. He had a, a rough start, you know, in the first, uh, like, four or five games. They played uh, lackluster football and had uh, bad results, many uh, draws, a couple losses. And uh, there was already some critics, you know, um, you know, but in the last uh, two, three windows, they started to pick it up. And I think South Korea, as long as they have their, all the key players fit, 
and firing on all cylinders, they are a formidable side as well. But it's uh, just, uh, you know, having all these key players fit, like Lee Kang-in, like Hon Song-min, like Huang He-chan, like uh, Kim Min-jae, and then they need the supporting cast to step up, you know, the other players, you know, the remaining players also to do their job. And I, when I watch South Korea, I feel they are not as well drilled of a machine as Japan are, you know. They, they play well, but they rely more on their individual class of these players, you know, whereas I see kind of drop-off in terms of uh, cohesion or in teamwork. It's not as same level as Japan, but I think South, the f- uh, starting lineup of South Korea is high-quality level. But, um, you know, I always say the best players of South Korea are actually better than best players of Japan. But when we look at the first 11, the starting 11 as a whole, then Japan is clear of South Korea because we, we let's say, we... we players that are not so famous or so in, in the Japan squad are better than the Korean players. Yeah, I think that's spot on because as you say, you know, with Japan, Mitoma being injured, obviously it, it's a blow for them, but it doesn't take them, you know, a massive level down. But as you say, for South Korea, if like Son Heung-min gets injured, then that's a big problem for them. So I think th- I think that hits the nail on the head there. And yeah, I think also it's worth noting on Klinsmann that um, there was... Even even before his uh, you know rough run of results, there was also some controversy about his off pitch behavior. Basically, he didn't spend a lot of time in Korea, didn't turn up to K League games. So the local media and fans were un- unhappy because he was almost never seen um, in South Korea. But as you say, they've had a good run of results leading up to the tournament. Um, I think it's five games without conceding as we record this. Uh, including wins over the likes of China and I think Tunisia. So, so some good, very good results there. So yeah, definitely right up there as contenders. Uh, let's maybe move on now to Australia, who I also think are a fairly strong squad, so could well compete. What do you make of them? Yeah, Australia, I think um, they all surprised us at the last uh, World Cup. I personally didn't see it coming that they would make it to the round of 16 and then they pushed also um, uh, um, eventual champions Argentina very hard in the round of 16. I think they have, um, you know, they have kept the manager. That's a big advantage, you know, and uh, Graham Arnold still manager. And they have uh, carried over the momentum of uh, that World Cup to this Asian Cup. I think they're, they're still on high spirits and they performed mostly well in their friendlies. They, they scheduled some very tough friendlies. You know, they played the likes of Ecuador, England, uh, Mexico, and they had mostly uh, good, decent performances. And, you know, Australia, they rely more on their, you know, their strength is more like being compact in defense, um, don't allow much space to the opposition and uh, try to uh, play on the break. And they are very physical side, of course. We all know that uh, in terms of individual quality, I don't see them anywhere close to Japan and uh, also nowhere close to South Korea. But uh, given that they, they, are, they are they're playing with a lot of self-confidence, their confidence levels is high, and uh, they're a very cohesive side. I think they are, for me, third favorites to win this Asian Cup. Um, 
but they have uh, also some absentees when I uh, as I remember right I think uh, Matthew Leckie I think he's injured he's not uh, in the squad and um, yeah I think uh, yeah, Massimo Luongo as well the yeah, he retired yep. yes he, he retired from the national team it was a bit for me surprising why so shortly ahead of a Asian Cup um, but maybe I don't know maybe he wasn't uh, guaranteed to be a starter or so I'm not sure um, yeah you know I think Australia very physical side we all know they have Harry Suter at the back and he scores always uh, uh, on set pieces with his headers and um, that's a, a threat to every team yeah so I think yeah they, they are fine Jackson Irvine is an important player with his experience uh, in midfield he plays for San Pauli here in Hamburg I live in Hamburg that's why I mention him um yeah these are my thoughts on Australia yeah that's fair I think as you say they play a style which is very suited to tournament I think across actually the men's and women's game they play very style which is very suited to tournament football in the sense that you know they'll have a compact 4-4-2 defend deep hit on the counter and that that works well at world cups especially should also do well in the knockouts i don't think as you say japan and south korea are on a technical individual level better than them but i don't think either of them would want to come across them because australia can just be a very difficult team to beat um so if if they do make it to those later rounds of the knockouts, then I think they, they will be a problem, just given their style of play. But yeah, definitely, I think especially against compared to Japan, um, again, the squad isn't quite at the same level because I think a great example of that actually is that they've called up 36-year-old striker Bruno Fernaroli, who's having an incredible season so far in the A-League. But obviously, this is probably going to be his... I mean, he he wasn't in the fold at the World Cup, and so he's just back again for just this one tournament, probably. Whereas, as I said, with Japan, even though Yuya Osako had that great year, they didn't feel the need to call him up because they're already looking to the next World Cup. Um, so I, I guess that's, that's you know, indicative of the difference of quality between them. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Also, when you see the squad, there are very few or almost no players at all who play in the Big Five European leagues. So that says basically all you need to know about uh, the quality of, of the individuals you know yeah and i think it's it's also worth mentioning that maybe with australia it's, it's sort of a case of like this tournament falling in a sort of generational transition because yeah as i said like with this for Naroli, there's other key players like craig goodwin who are towards the end of their career longer retired um and and then they've got some very exciting youngsters like garan kohl nasri rankunda who will be going to buy and not part of the squad but Definitely players who will surely be a part of the national team in the future, but right now are like what 17, 18, 19. So it's it's maybe a case of you know one or two tournaments later they could look stronger, um, but right now they have to rely a lot on their style of play. So they should be an interesting watch um, from that angle. But I think on on the on the point of you know players in in leagues, I think the next team we look at is interesting because let's let's move on to Saudi Arabia. Because obviously they are going to be fielding a 100% domestically based squad. Um, and of course, the Saudi Pro League has been in the headlines for the last few months now, almost a year, um, with all its massive signings from you know all over the world, top, top players uh, from European clubs, from South Africa as well. 
uh sorry south america as well um but, but what what do you make of their chances and and i'd be interested to know what you think of this so do you think them improving their league so much can substantially improve their national team you know i think in the short term you know these transfers they don't have any impact but maybe after a couple of years and when uh, you know these players actually play in these leagues they stay there maybe in maybe two three four years we can see some impact and Saudi Arabian national team improves but you know these players like Benzema uh, like Neymar they've been playing in Saudi Arabia only for a couple of months I don't think this has uh, much of an impact as of now and also one problem is that uh, the Saudi Arabian players you know they they don't get as much uh, game time as previously you know because we they these clubs they hired uh, they spend so much money for these foreign stars so that the domestic players they don't get the same amount as of opportunities anymore you know so that's also something to um, keep in mind when i look at uh, you know saudi arabia uh, at the world cup we remember they had a memorable performance against argentina result they beat them eventual champions but they bottled it you could say in the remaining two games they had the opportunity to progress to the next round but they especially against poland uh, they couldn't convert the chances and then uh, yeah against mexico they played badly i would say and um, after the world cup you know they they, they had a rough patch of form uh, they hired mancini you know uh, who made Italy European champions in 2021. Um, it's it's a rough transition, basically. Uh, also, when I see at the squad, they have called up only like half of the squad who was at the World Cup. Like they have only, I think they, only 10 or 11 players who were part of the World Cup squad uh, have been called up for this Asian Cup. So it's a very interesting, there's some, transition going on i think i personally think maybe mancini has realized that some of these players who played at the world cup they are they don't have the same hunger the same desire motivation anymore maybe it's my what i guess because i felt when i watched saudi arabia in their post world cup friendlies that some of these players they were not on it anymore you know they they were kind of still hangover from the world cup and i think it's a right decision for Mancini to call up new players. There are many new players in the squad and um, we will see how they will play. You know, as of now, we don't know how they will look. They looked, Saudi Arabia looked, of course, bad in their friendlies. In World Cup qualifying, they won both the games against, of course, Pakistan and Jordan. And against Jordan, we already saw that Mancini field a kind of a B11, you know, it was not a, on paper Saudi Arabia's strongest 11, but they they won it uh, against Jordan. I think, uh, of course, Salem Al-Dafsawi will be a key player for them. Um, I would say uh, maybe Fahad Al-Murwalat is, uh, is also a very um, skillful player who could make uh, some damage. And um, yeah, it's a very interesting uh, squad. And Mancini, he also wants to play 
high line, you know, he wants to push up uh, the center backs, the defenders to push up and that they press high. And in the friendlies, I saw huge gaps, you know, and the opponents, they um, punished Saudi Arabia for that. It will be interesting to see how this proactive style, high press style of football will work in Asia because in Asia, we know the teams teams are not uh, there. The quality of the teams is um, not as high as the, the, the teams Saudi Arabia played in the friendlies. So this maybe this tactical approach could work in Asia. Um, yeah, we will have to see. Yeah, but as you said, there's, you know, possibly a, a full shift in sort of their tactical identity moving from F. Renard to Mancini because obviously Renard is very much a defense-first type of manager. Does tend to defend high uh, often, but, you know, again, a compact 4-4-2 block and restrict opponents and hit on the counter, which is what Saudi Arabia did at the World Cup, most notably to Argentina. Um but obviously, Mancini is someone who plays more possession-based football, as we saw with the Euro-winning Italy squad. Um, and yes, yeah, so I guess maybe that's also factored in the turnover in the squad that he's maybe you know trying to bring in more ball-playing or or players who are better on the ball rather than defensively. So yeah, as you say, of course, this is the first tournament, a uh, first major tournament that Mancini is taking charge in. So I imagine he'll maybe have a, a, you know, he, it might not decide his future immediately his contract is obviously till the world cup so i think they'll let let it go no matter what happens but yeah definitely obviously they are expected to you know compete in the knockouts at least um but uh, let's let's move on now to the next team which is iran which i believe uh, are one of the sides you support so what 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 do you make of iran what do you think their chances are Iran are, for, for me, not favorites for this Asian Cup. I see them at best as contenders. I would actually put also Saudi Arabia in that category. You know, they are Saudi Arabia, Iran. These are contenders. They're not favorites for me. And, you know, with Iran, uh, they changed their manager. You know, Carlos Kirosh is gone for good. Now, uh, Amir al is uh, our manager. He's a domestic uh, guy. Uh, he is actually the the manager who has won the the most amount of uh, Iranian Pro League titles. So he has had quite a lot of success in the domestic league in Iran. Uh, but we, we fans also, we are not sold on him. You know, I think he is a pretty average manager. It's nothing special, to be honest. When you look at the results, yes, Iran have been unbeaten post-World Cup. We didn't lose a single game. Uh, but we've played mostly inferior opposition. We didn't play, uh, we didn't schedule high-profile friendly so-so. And some performances in some games, we looked shaky defensively. An example for that uh, would be like in World Cup qualifiers when we played against Uzbekistan in November. We were 2-0 up. We played fairly well in the first half. But then in the second half, actually, Saman Rodos, uh, the player who's been playing for uh, for Brentford, uh, actually, he was uh, subbed out, injured, uh, short, uh, you know, just before the halftime. And that impacted our team morale and our play so much that without him, we didn't have anybody in midfield who could uh, dictate the tempo. And um, Uzbekistan 
in the second half, they, they pushed us a lot. They, they, they put us under a lot of pressure and eventually they equalized. They scored two goals. And that performance, you know, it shows a little bit. Iran, sometimes we are very good. Sometimes we are nothing special, you know. And we rely also on our star, on our key players to perform. Uh, of course, Azmoun and Taremi up front, they, they are key for us. They score the goals for us. And they are also, you know, they have a brilliant link-up play with each other. They, we need that because from midfield, there's not, coming, there's, there, there's not coming that much service or supply. We have Grotos in midfield. He, is a, he's, he has become a key player for us. I would say he's, other than Azmoun and Taremi, now our most important player. And his absence, as I said, was immediately felt when he was subbed out against, uh, injured against Uzbekistan. I think we, the other players, they have to step up. We have also Ramin Rezaian, uh, our right back. He's been pretty much in form. He's been assisting and scoring left and right in the Iranian League, also in the Asian Champions League. One main problem of the squad, in my opinion, is it is an aging squad. It, it was already the, the oldest squad at the World Cup and it will be also, I believe, the oldest squad at this Asian Cup. And that's a problem because in modern football, you need also the legs to cover a lot of ground. You need tempo, you need pace. And we lack uh, pace in midfield, you know, and I think teams with uh, pacey attackers could hurt us a lot. We saw that already against Uzbekistan. And um, I think, yeah, Iran, on our day, we can maybe, apart from Japan, beat anybody in Asia. But uh, it's tough to bet on our success, you know. We, there's a question marks. And uh, I'm personally not too optimistic, you know. I think, uh, as I said, we are contenders, but we are not favorites. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And as you say, with the aging sword, would it be fair to say that this is possibly... You know, their last chance of, or last, you know, even serious chance of winning a, a trophy for the foreseeable future because obviously the last Asian Cup uh, they've won was, I think, 1976. Um, and then obviously, you know, next is four years later when the likes of Taremi, uh, not so much Azmoon, but, you know, Rezaian will probably not be at this level they're playing at currently. So, yeah, I mean, I. I would you would you agree that this is I guess the last chance for this for this generation? Yes, I agree. You know, uh, these players. I think most of them won't even play at the world. You know, not most, but I think most of them they won't play at the next Asian Cup, and only and some of them won't even play at the next World Cup if Iran qualifies. I think we we know that this generation of player players. Um, it's the last opportunity for them. They want to use this opportunity. They, our goal is to make it to the final um, because there's some bet also going on with the 1996-1998 generation. We had a very good generation also back when. Iran uh, f uh, finished with bronze in 1996. Arguably should have even won the Asian Cup, but we got unlucky. And uh, then that team went also... Uh, went on to play well at the World Cup in 1998. We didn't make it out of a group, but we gave Yugoslavia hell and we beat the USA. And, um, you know, and there's some bet if this team, if this generation of player, you know, the 2024 generation, will reach the final, then they, uh, they are the best generation 
ever in Iranian football, basically. That's the, the bad that is going on. It's very interesting. I know for a fact that our team is motivated. That's not the issue. They are motivated. They want to make at least a final and prove themselves that they are the best generation ever in Iranian football. So, um, But as you said, it's the last opportunity for most of these players. And yeah, we'll see. Yeah, should be interesting. I guess that that's a nice segue for us to contrast Iran with you know the, your last opponents, Uzbekistan, because you could almost say they're the exact opposite in many ways. Uzbekistan have a very exciting up and coming generation. They were so so impressive at the under twenty and under seventeen World Cups, not just the Asian Cups, the World Cups. So on the world stage, they were you know making it to the later knockout rounds, um, and I mean credit to them because they. They have definitely, in the last few years, been building towards this. They've invested very well in you know local youth development facilities, the local league, and all of that is finally paying off. But obviously, it, right now, we're seeing the big effects of it at their sort of youth levels. Um, and obviously, that would take time to translate to the senior national team. So where do you rate Uzbekistan going into this Asian Cup? Uh, I think Uzbekistan... It's tough to classify, you know. Some people would say they are dark horses. Maybe some people would even put them maybe contenders. Um, I think that they are dark horse for this Asian Cup. Um, I think realistically, their ceiling is semifinals. I think they could make it to the semifinals. They have also a decent path maybe to, to make it that far. And um, I personally like uh, the manager Srechko Kantenets a lot. I Kantenets, I rate him highly. You know, he he w- took also his native Slovenia to one World Cup and to one Euros. And Slovenia, uh, basically, they are not a nation who qualifies regularly for these kind of tournaments. So, I think he he has also a lot of experience as a manager, and he has been in charge of Uzbekistan since like two years or so, I believe. And um, I think Uzbekistan, they have made strides in these two last two, three years. We know they disappointed in last World Cup qualifiers when they failed to make it to the final round. It was a huge uh, disappointment. And then they they hired Srechko Katanets and under him, I think they just went to a whole transition. Uh, they have called up, you know, they... They have introduced many young players. As you said, Uzbekistan, they have been very successful in the, in the youth, uh, in youth football. Once uh, some youth Asian Cups played then at the Youth World Cups and did uh, fairly well there. And some of these players are also now called up for this Asian Cup squad. And what is so exciting about Uzbekistan is not only these are young players, they are, tal- they are talented players and they are getting transfers to actually European clubs. And that is something, I would say, unprecedented because Uzbekistan, they were always, used to be always domestic, entirely domestic-based squad, up, apart from maybe two or three players. But now they, they get their best players to European leagues like Italy, Russia, Turkey, France. And it will be very interesting to see how they will uh, do at this tournament. Um, one big blow for them is, of course, the absence of Eldor Shomurodov, their talismanic striker. He has scored in basically in every other cap, um, 38 goals and 69 caps. And uh, he's injured and he will unfortunately miss 
with Asian Cup, it's a blow for them because I think the backup options were nowhere close to the same level. I think they, they would maybe rely now on Igor Sergeyev, who plays in Thailand. It's not exactly the same level. And um, yeah, but I think they have, of course, Jalaluddin Masharipov, who is playing now in Greece. We know he he was uh, playing for Al-Hilal, but in the last year or so, he was uh, benched. He didn't play much at all. And now he's been playing in the first tier of Greece. Uh, there's, of course, Otabek Shukurov, who plays in Turkey for Fatih Karagümrük. He's been playing regularly. He's also, uh, I think he's very important in midfield to set the, to- uh, set the tone, you know, dictate the tempo of a play, maybe also to intercept many balls. And I think he's an underrated player, a very good player. Then there are some very young, exciting ta- ta- talents like Apuspek Faisulayev, who's been, who is, uh, who play, plays a straight for ZSKA Moscow. And um, maybe this could be his uh, breakout. Uh, tournament, but I'm not sure whether he will be a starter. Maybe he comes off a bench, so that remains to be seen. There's, of course, uh, Husanov, who plays in France. He's been not getting that much game time over there, but uh, some, you know, French minutes he gets for his club. And, yeah, I think Uzbekistan, they are looking to make a splash at this Asian Cup. I think semifinals is their goal, uh, I would guess. And yeah, they're a dark horse. They could make it far and surprise some people. Yeah, and as you say, I think, you know, often obviously we can talk about you know, exact tactical systems and such, but especially with international football, and this is also something we discuss in, in our AFCON preview, it's often very simply a case of just getting your best players on the pitch and just giving them the platform to, you know, showcase their skills and qualities. I think that's something that uh, Uzbekistan do quite well. And obviously, they also have a, 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 a well-drilled squad. So, I think, that, yeah, as you said, they, they, on the surface, they might not have the quality. I mean, they definitely don't have the quality of most of the other teams we discussed. But but they are an up-and-coming team and they're, they're a well-drilled team. So, they're definitely ones to watch. So, I think that rounds us off for all the teams we wanted to take a look at. Let's now dive into the predictions. I have a list of all the groups in front of me. So I'll just ask you for your group rankings and then we'll move on to the knockouts, right? So let's start with Group A. We've got Qatar, China, Lebanon and Tajikistan. Who's going through? You know, as we record with, it's the 4th of January. So it's still like nine days away or eight days away of uh, the opening game. And some or many teams actually will still play their warm-up friendlies. So uh, take my predictions uh, with a pinch of salt. You know, maybe, you know, you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow my YouTube because I will give my finalized predictions one or two days before the start of the tournament. But the predictions I will give now, you know, I'll give them now. But there is no guarantee that that's my finalized prediction. So for Group A, I have uh, Qatar in first. I have uh, surprise Tajikistan in second. I Yes, I I think they they were surprised as of now. Maybe yeah, of course. I, I think yeah. it's, it's a whole shirt. Yes, I think they will be second or third. I don't think they will go bottom. China, I have as of now in third, and Lebanon last. Why don't you talk us through the the China call there? Because I mean, basically, obviously, you're saying Tajikistan will impress, but I guess equally it'll be China 
not imp- or underperforming so w- w- why do you think china might not be up there you know china um, when i watch from play i don't see actually that much of talent or flair or anything you know they are very uh, uh it's very tale you know it's uh, i don't know what to say china they, they are lacking the cutting edge you know they don't score many goals they rely mostly on counters and on the opposition to make mistakes uh, we saw that in world cup qualifiers we did beat thailand on the road it was a minor surprise to me but uh, thailand had a turnover and a misplaced pass and they, they just pounced thailand on on these mistakes on the counter um, but i think thailand uh, china uh, they struggle when they play themselves against a low block. They don't find solutions. They can't create themselves on their own chances. And it's a very aging squad as well. I believe it's the second, maybe it's the most, the oldest squad or the second oldest squad of this Asian Cup. And it's either between Iran and China. And I see, I think China, they have gone backwards. They are not the same as uh, two, three. Four, five, six years ago. I think they are getting weaker and weaker. I personally think this is the weakest China in in three or two decades. So I think they could even come in last, but because they have some pedigree in this competition, usually they make it out of the group. I give them, for now, the benefit of a doubt. They lost also against Hong Kong uh, yes. the, other, the other day. So I think China at best third place for me. Okay, fair shot, fair shot. Should be passing. Let's move on to Group B. We've got Australia, Uzbekistan, Syria, India. Should be a straightforward one, do you think? Yes, this group is pretty straightforward. I think, um, you know, you could argue it's not very clear who will top the group because I think Uzbekistan, there's a case for them to top also the group. But now with uh, Shomurodov missing the Asian Cup, I lean more towards Australia to top the group. They are the favorites. Uh, Australia to top, Uzbekistan to to come in second, Syria to come in third, uh, India to come last. Uh, you know, I was not, let's say a month ago or so, I was not convinced that Syria would come even third. I would think it's 50-50 between Syria and India. What makes me now uh, leaning towards Syria is that they acquired some dual nationals you know they have uh, strengthened the squad with some heritage players some players who play in some south american leagues and i think uh, maybe this gives them the last uh, bit of quality they need to come in third in this group and also india uh, they they don't have a good preparation they don't play any friendlies and they couldn't um you know steamach was asking for for the league to to, to stop way earlier so that they have three weeks of time or so maybe to prepare, but now they have only like one week of time to prepare. And I think it's not enough for India to, to come in third, but maybe they they have still a chance against Syria. I don't rule it out. Maybe they, they could uh, beat Syria and finish third. But for now, I have Syria third, India last. Yeah, and I don't honestly think that'll matter either because I expect Australia and Uzbekistan will beat both of them. So that, you know, in some groups, third place will go through, but it'll be, you know, best ranked teams. And I don't think three points will get you that. So I, and since India-Syria is, is the last game of the group, that's probably going to be a dead rubber, I'd say. But uh, yeah, should should be good one. Then let's go to group C. Got Iran, 
Palestine, the UAE, and Hong Kong. Who's going through in this one? Yes, I'm backing Iran to, to top the group. You know, we always top our group in Asian Cups. It's a, it's a recurrent theme. It's a pattern. We always do well in group play, but then in the knockouts, we falter. Uh, even though this is an aging team, I still think we will get at least seven points, maybe nine, but I back us to get us seven, maybe. And I think we will score more goals on, on Hong Kong and maybe if there if it goal difference will decide it, it will decide it in our favor. So I think we will be unbeaten. We will finish first. Uh, second place, I have, as of now, the UAE. I like also the look um, un, um, of the UAE under Paulo Bento. And um, third place will be Palestine. And I think we will also be pretty competitive in this group. I think they... They impressed me actually when last month when we uh, lost one zero only to Australia and they, uh, they played a very tight game with Australia. So um, I think they will actually easily beat Hong Kong and they, they might also take points off UAE as well. Hong Kong, I believe, uh, for me, they are the worst team at this Asian Cup and I expect them to lose all three games. I don't see any hope for them, even though they beat China in a friendly, but we take we we have to take this with a grain of salt because China Hong Kong is a rivalry. Hong Kong always play up to the level of China when we face each other. But as a squad, I know I don't see Hong Kong. I don't think they have the defensive solidity. They are very fragile, very vulnerable. So I think they will concede a lot and they will finish last. Yep. Fair. Let's move on then to Group D. We have got Japan, Indonesia, Iraq, Vietnam. I think Japan definitely top, but who's behind them? Yes, this group is also straightforward. I think Japan to top is is no question behind it. I believe also second place is also very straightforward, Iraq. I mean, they had a strong start in World Cup qualifiers. They won the Gulf Cup also this year, and they've been playing some proactive, some nice style of football under Jesus Casas. They have a lot of uh, many... They, they, they changed their identity of play. They, they have a new squad. These players, they are mostly relatively young players. They are players who play in Europe. You know, half of Iraq's squad, they play in foreign leagues, mostly in Europe. So it's an exciting team, a team also to keep an eye on, maybe to surprise, to go maybe on a run. We'll see. Uh, I think between third and fourth place, there's a point for for both for any team of Vietnam or Indonesia. But if you want to play it safe, I think as of now I have Vietnam in third and Indonesia in fourth. But I don't think it will matter that much because I don't think any of these sides will make it through. Um, yeah, these these are my predictions. Right, and let's go on to Group E. We've got South Korea, definitely the favorites. Could be close behind them, double between Bahrain, Jordan, and then with Malaysia as well. Yes, that's a, uh, that's a very interesting group because I think it's not so, you know, of course, first place is straightforward, but what happens after that is not straight straightforward, I think. Um, yeah, South Korea, I think at least seven points in this group and to top. I think Bahrain where will come in second. I believe they have more quality than Jordan and Malaysia. I personally rate Bahrain higher. I think um, they are also in a transition period under Pizzi, they 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 have called up a lot of new players, but I think there are also some established players still in the squad, like Komel Aswad, and I think 
these players they will carry Bayern to second place. Between third and fourth place, I'm very unsure. Um, I think one year ago or so, I would have easily said Jordan, maybe even Jordan second, but they have hit a rough patch of form lately. They lost and drew many friendlies and also they look shaky to me and uh, not coherent at all. If I would give a surprise, I would maybe pick Malaysia here to come in third and Jordan to come in last, but this is not finalized. I mean, I will watch the the last friendlies. Jordan will still play in friendlies against Qatar and against Japan. If we show again bad performances like in the last games, then I think Malaysia can pip Jordan for, for third place in this group. Yeah, and uh, you know, the point you made about recruiting dual nationals, I think Malaysia have done a good job of that as well. So yes. definitely they're you know cl- closer to Bahrain and Jordan than their FIFA ranking. The interesting, yes, the interesting thing is Malaysia will play like a club team because like 80% of the squad, they are <laughs> From players <JVD>. of Johor. <laughs> yes, players yeah. of Johor. And because of that, they have good cohesion. But they are defensively shaky. My issue with Malaysia is they concede too many goals. They are not solid defensively. But we know they have a lot of quality up front. I like Faisal Alim. I like I like Arif Ayman. So I think they could surprise and make it to third. Yep, that's a fair shot. That should be a very interesting group. And finally, we have Group F. Saudi Arabia, Oman, Kyrgyzstan, Thailand. Again, clear-cut favorites for first, but who's behind them? Yes, uh, on paper, you know, on paper, Saudi Arabia should top this group. But I, I, I'm going, I'm throwing a, um, a curveball here. I think Oman will top this group. I'm, okay. I'm, I, I go with a surprise. Yes, I know Oman. They haven't been on the best lately. I mean, I, I was very high on Oman, like after the Golf Cup, you know, after World Cup qualifiers and after the Golf Cup, I labeled them actually Dark Horse number one for this Asian Cup six months ago. But the, the recent performances were disappointing. But I s- go back to that prediction or, or I still show some faith in them and I think they were surprised in this group. I think they will be first. Saudi Arabia will be second. Uh, maybe, you know, Saudi Arabia, as I said, they have called up many new players. It's a transition. Maybe they play Oman in the first game. I could see a surprise in that first game. Third place, I have, as of now, Kyrgyzstan. But I'm not sure whether they will go through because I think they only realistically will get a win against Thailand and lose the other two games. Thailand, I'm sorry. I think they look bad at the moment. They... they you know, they sacked Pelking the, the, after the loss against China. I think personally it was a wrong decision. They should have stick to him because I think overall Thailand were going in a good direction. So I don't, I disagree with that decision. Um, and, you know, Thailand, what I don't like, also they have a couple key players missing like Terasil Dangda, like uh, Chanatip. These are key players for them. They are ruled out, injured. And um, I don't know. I, I heard that Thailand, they started their pre-Asian Cup game. They played one friendly against Japan, lost 5-0. But then these players, they for two clubs, I believe, they went back to the clubs. So there's disruptive uh, preparation. And I think Thailand, they, they will flop and come last in this group. Maybe even lose all three games. I think one point at best. All right. Let's, unless the group's done, let's cut the first couple of rounds of knockouts because that'll get messy. 
let's have your four semi-finalists. Who do you think gets there? You know, I, I'm basing off this of my group stage predictions and the, the bracket that would uh, come up with it. Um, I think Japan will be for sure in the semi-finals. I think Australia will make the semi-finals. I think South Korea will make the semi-finals. And the last semi-finalist, I think, will be Saudi Arabia. I think one team, of course, of the West, of the West will be also in the semi-finals. And I believe also maybe support on the stands, you know, because this Asian Cup is in Qatar. Saudi Arabia will bring probably many fans. And the bracket, you know, in my personal bracket, if they would finish second, they would have maybe an easier path to the semifinals when if they would finish first. So I think they can make the semifinals. Oh, that's interesting. So I think that will that be Japan, Australia, and South Korea, Saudi Arabia as the semifinals? Yes. Right. Then let's have your finalists and then the winner as well. Yeah. As of now, I'm I'm as of now I'm playing it safe. My Asian Cup winner is of course Japan, so they will beat Australia. The other game, I think, is close between South Korea and Saudi Arabia. I watched these two teams play each other in a friendly and not too long ago. It was post-World Cup. South Korea won 1-0, but it was a fairly close game. And that was a Saudi Arabia. It was still, you know, kind of hangover from, from the World Cup. It was one of the first games under Mancini. So I don't rule out that Saudi Arabia could maybe surprise and make it to the final. But as of now, I have still South Korea edging past uh, Saudi Arabia. Right. That rounds us off then, I think. That's our prediction sorted. Should definitely be a very, very interesting Asian Cup. So thank you very much for your time, Sami. Really, really appreciate your, your time and insights. Uh, we'll have your Twitter handle uh, down in our description. So if anyone wants to go follow him, which I highly recommend, um, just check the notes or description uh, of, of this episode. Uh, you can find me on there as well. Um, and if you go to Get Football's Twitter account, which is at GetFootballEU, uh, you'll find the links in the bio to all our country and league-specific accounts. Well, we, we'll be covering uh, all that's going on in the world of football in this very, very busy January between, obviously, the transfer window, AFCON, and the Asian Cup. So do keep an eye out for all those things. Uh, you can, as I said, find all of that in the in the description of this episode as well. Uh, if your app allows it, please do rate the podcast if you enjoyed it. And of course, feel free to share uh, on socials as well uh, if, if you'd like. But thank you very much for listening. Uh, thanks for your time, Sami. And we'll be back with a regular episode next week. Take care until then. Bye-bye.